Welcome to the Lot Carey Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, pastor of the First Baptist Church of New Market in Piscataway, New Jersey, and learning coordinator for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. The Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving weekly podcast grows from a multi-year journey among pastors committed to flourishing in ministry. This is a project of the Lot Carey Foreign Mission Society and is made possible through the generous support from the Lilly Endowment. Learn more about Lot Carey and how it helps churches to extend the Christian witness throughout the world at lotcarey.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot org. Join us for weekly conversations with pastoral thought leaders who share wisdom from the Black church for the whole church. Let's join Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, Associate Dean for Vocational Formation and Christian Witness at Duke Divinity School and the Project Director for Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. This week, He's in conversation with Reverend Dr. Reginald A. Wales, pastor of the Falling Run Missionary Baptist Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Today, we're excited to have a conversation with Pastor Reginald Wales. Thanks, Dr. Wales, for being with us today. Thank you, Dr. Goldley, for the opportunity to uh, talk today. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks much. Well, as you know, we're talking with pastors in this podcast about flourishing in ministry. And the way that we talk about it is around an idea of pilgrimages of striving and thriving. And so we're really thankful that you've been a part of this journey where uh, we've had 50 pastors who've been a part of this journey together. And as you know, our assumptions hold that in flourishing in ministry, every round does not go higher and higher. And that to flourish includes striving and thriving. So some of the ways we've talked about flourishing in ministry is to use a metaphor of a tree. Sometimes there are leaves, sometimes there are blossoms. Sometimes the leaves are falling away and sometimes there are only bare branches. But in all of those seasons, the tree can still be healthy and thriving. So while that's one way of thinking about flourishing in ministry, can you talk with us about what flourishing in ministry looks like to you? Um, thank you. Thank you for that question, Dr. Goley. I'll be honest, prior to um, entering this program and being a part of, of this journey, first of all, I, I didn't really give a lot of thought to thriving in ministry. You know, I just, I've been in, you know, I've been in ministry 36 years, being in the pastoral ministry 30, 
So, you know, when you're a part of something, you don't tend to define. You're so busy working and doing until you don't, uh, you don't have a lot of definitions. So I think the first thing you helped me to define, you know, I think the first time we were in Durham, I left there at the end of the week um, with a sort of thinking about what does that look like? Um, you know, we are so accustomed to defining things or always in the superlatives, you know, um, you know, if ministry is not always hitting on a hundred or we're not, every cylinder is not hitting, we don't think we're doing well. So I think over the last year and a half, I have uh, sought to redefine for myself what uh, thriving in ministry looks like. So for me, thriving in ministry is being aligned with God. It's, it's an alignment with God, you know, making sure that what I'm doing in my local context, it is an, it's, it's being aligned with God, you know, and then uh, creating um, time for spiritual discipline. Um, you know, as, as you, as we've been walking through this program, I think that um, that's an area that I was lacking in. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in school, reading and writing and researching, but I think I was lacking in that. So that, I think for me, thriving in ministry is about creating time for spiritual discipline, for prayer and study, and, uh, and then also investing time in spiritual care personal care, you know, that has helped me to develop this, I think even that um, concept of thriving in ministry, you can't thrive when you're sick, not just physically, but um, mentally as well as spiritually. So thriving for me is, is helped me to work on my investing some time in my spiritual care and as well as physical care, as well as making time for my family. For some pastors who are listening, they might hear in themselves the tendency to be doing and delivering on something. And some of the way that I heard you talk about thriving had to do with maybe tapping the brakes or, or, or um, not focusing on the doing, but give some more time to being. And you're exactly correct. You know, uh, I think as pastors, we are so busy. We are programmed to do, but I don't think we spend a lot of time being. And so I'm trying to work on as a part of my thriving in my local context, um, I'm trying to be, you know, I'm trying to be in a line with God. I'm, you know, I'm trying to, to, to be the one who creates that spiritual discipline of prayer and study. You know, I'm trying to uh, be the one that invests yeah, because I think that if I'm not healthy, you know, the, the, the church itself and that there is a saying, and I, and I think it's true that our, our congregations tend to take on, you know, the DNA or, or a better term, you know, the personality of the pastor. <laughs> yeah, I've heard, I've heard that. And I think that while that is true, I think also pastors have a tendency to be informed and take on some of the personality of the people. And so sure. I, I suspect sure. that we all are influencing and informing yes. uh, each other. Yes. And, and until we step back and intentionally reflect, uh, we very well may miss some of that. Yeah. Well, when we've been working with uh, these pastors and uh, again, you've been uh, excellent uh, team leader. 
uh, for some millennial and zennial pastors. And our formula for flourishing holds that if a pastor's leadership capacity plus their service context yields their ministry content, there is a higher probability for flourishing. So we're discouraging people from thinking about trying to drag and drop a ministry model that one pastor sees someone else doing. After all, you know, we don't look for a palm tree to flourish in Maine. So can you talk to us a little about how your context of service informs your content of ministry? I've learned early on, and then it was reinforced uh, becoming a part of this program, that every church, and I, I use this term, has a culture. You know, every church has a culture, and I think you have to learn the culture of your context. Um, you know, uh, we, we all, we go to conferences, we buy books, we listen to our favorite um, pastor preachers talk about what they are doing, and we see them, we admire what they're doing. But I think when we, at the end of the day, we have, you know, we have to bring it back to fit, we have to put it in our context, and what works down the street, or works across uh, uh, the country, may not work at, in your context. So I think um, I always say that you have to study your context or your culture, the culture of your church. You know, why, why do they do what they do? <laughs> it may not make any sense to you, but you know, my, my first couple of churches were in the rule, you know, and so uh, I had to learn that rule of verbiage. <laughs> I had to learn, <laughs> I had to learn the, um, you know, their way of living. So I, I moved to that area, you know, and so I, I immersed myself in that, that, you know, that area. You know, I became the shepherd in that community. You know, my, my philosophy was the shepherd lived with the sheep. You know, the shepherd smelled like the sheep, <laughs> you know. And, and so, you know, I, I learned, I learned that area. Um, and, and so, it helped me to, although I was flying around the country, going to school with all these different persons from everywhere else and hearing what they were doing, I knew that I had to go back to my context. And um, I knew that my, what, what, the culture in which I was immersed in. So, um, you know, I learned the culture and, I, I, and I, I told people now, learn your culture, learn your context, work it. And once you learn it and, and you can work it, it can be to your advantage. Wherever you are, you're going to have to um, gain the confidence of the people anyway. <laughs> you know, so I think that you have to learn your context. You have to learn um, your culture. You have to learn the chiefs, <laughs> who, are, who, are, <laughs> who are the chiefs, who are the four pastors. I had a, uh, a saying of an old pastor when I was growing up in Alabama. He talked about there are four pastors, you know, that, yeah, you're the pulpit pastor, but there are four pastors who have their own congregations within your congregation and you're going to have to learn how to ne uh, negotiate with them particularly as a younger pastor to um, <laughs> to get some things or before the power is really given to you and um, and so that, that um, and I know I said a lot but I think that you know you know 
for me, um, my, my context of service has informed my content of ministry. It has helped me to know where I am. And I think that's key, know where you are, you know, who you're working with. Uh, and I think that once they trust you, first of all, when, once you learn them, um, you can teach them, train them through preaching and teaching of what you're trying to do. I think a mistake that many of us make would go into a place not knowing the, the culture, not knowing who the chiefs are, <laughs> not knowing the nomenclature, not knowing the language of that, not just the community, but that church, and it gets us in trouble. So I think learning the culture, learning the community, learning the chiefs, and working within that context, it can help you in the, in the long run. And I know that was a lot of stuff to say, but that's, it helps me, and it's helped me in my pastor along the way. Well, that's, that's very helpful and very uh, instructing uh, because I think if we try, if we assume uh, that if, if I'm a pastor and I have been nurtured in one culture or one context, and if I assume that that is normative, then I can go somewhere else and misinterpret what people are saying or doing, and I also can be misinterpreted. So I really appreciate your talking about how important it is to learn the context uh, where the Lord sends you to serve rather than presuming that something different is deficient. A word to our listeners, Lot Carey's Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving podcast is funded by the Lilly Endowment through its Thriving in Ministry initiative. We'll be right back with more from the interview. Since 1897, the Lot Carey Global Christian Missional Community has helped churches to extend the Christian witness around the world. We collaborate with indigenously-led communities to bear good and faithful witness to Christ Jesus through ministries of evangelism, compassion, empowerment, and advocacy in Africa, Asia, the Caribbean, Europe, North America, Oceania, and South America. Together, we are touching lives with transforming love. You too can help to extend the Christian witness throughout the world. Visit us at lotcarry.org. That's L-O-T-T-C-A-R-E-Y dot O-R-G. Thanks for praying for and investing in the good news globally through word and deed. Welcome back to the Lot Carey Podcast, Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie, the Learning Coordinator of Lot Carey's Thriving in Ministry Program. Each week in this podcast, my colleague, Reverend Dr. David Emanuel Goatley, interviews a prominent Black pastoral leader to gain insight for flourishing in ministry. Now back to more of his interview with Reverend Dr. Reginald A. Wells, pastor of the Falling Run Missionary Baptist Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Can you talk to us about how the capacity of a pastor 
contributes to the content of a pastor's ministry. And this could be an example, you know, from your own life or from something that you have witnessed that all of us have something we can do. And our formula presumes that that informs, you know, how the ministry shakes out. You have to, you have to bring whatever you have to bear into a context. Um, if you're a people person, utilize that. You know, if you're a person who, who, have, who has the ability to, to bring factions together, um, utilize that. You know, I think that uh, it is more than the pulpit moment. I think so often we feel that that is the only thing that it is required. That is a portion. But you know, if you're an administrator, utilize that. If you have uh, organizing skills, uh, whatever it is that you have, uh, that you're gifted with, I think you have to utilize that in your context because it will help you along the way. You know, I think you have to be, you have to know who you are, have to know yourself and your capabilities. Um, over the years, I, I've, I know what I'm capable of doing <laughs> and I know what I'm not capable of doing. And I'm okay with that. I've learned, and I'm going to talk about that in a few moments. Hopefully we can talk about, I've learned what I can do and what my strengths and my weaknesses. Talk to us a little bit about an area of leadership that you have had to develop as a pastor. Uh, you just mentioned that you had to learn there's some things that you were good at, some things that you weren't as good at, and, and that you were okay. I really appreciate you saying it's okay for a pastor to have areas uh, that the pastor is not uh, excelling in or particularly gifted in. So can you talk to us about an area of leadership uh, where you've had to develop as a pastor? Sure. Um, early on, I was not good at developing other leaders. And, and I think over the last couple of years, I really thought about, it. I've been thinking about that and I'm still, still wrestling with that aspect of why. You know, the, it could be two things, either my ego or I was afraid. I'll, I'll be honest, I, I want to be totally transparent. Uh, early on in my, my, my earlier pastorate, I didn't do a good job of developing persons. You know, I had people around me who were younger, who I felt, I feel now as I look back, I failed them. They were eager, you know, I pulled them in, um, you know, they, they trusted me, I pulled them in, but once I got them into leadership positions, you know, as a younger pastor in my 20s, uh, you know, the fight was to bring younger people on, you know, and somehow I was able to do that. And once I got them there, I don't feel like I developed them. You know, I gave them busy work. You know, they were busy doing things, but as far as developing them um, to, to really become effective leaders, I don't think I did that. And I don't, again, I'm, I don't know if it was because of my ego or was I afraid to do that? Was it because you know when you don't when you have people around you and they have to come to you for everything that's ego that's stroking your ego that's that's job security <laughs> you know that's all that's people needing you all the time so you know in your 20s early 30s you need that now, I'm just being honest and I think uh, but now in my 50s I can look back and say I think I think I failed them you know I think I had the Moses complex. I think I might have suffered from the Moses complex, and I, and I was—I wish I would have had Jethro to say to me, 
you know, not that I was going to burn myself out, but, you know, in the sense of you need, you're doing a disservice to these individuals. So now they are, we came along together. We were both in our twenties, early thirties. I see them as leaders now. And I, I want to say to them, I failed you, you know, so 30 years later, you know, 25 years later, I see the error of my way. <laughs> well, you know, there are, there are some uh, folks in leadership that talk about how important it is to learn how to fail forward. Yeah. yeah. So that uh, it's a learning experience yeah. uh, and we grow from it and learn from it. And there are others who, you know, say if you haven't failed anything, you haven't tried much either. Yeah. So yeah. I really appreciate your transparency. One thing I'm hearing you say, and this is a question I sometimes ask uh, leaders when I'm, I have the privilege of doing some leadership conversations, is do you intend to lead followers or do you intend to lead leaders? Uh, and uh, in my mind, you know, followers will do what they're told. Right. Uh, but leaders uh, need the freedom uh, to use judgment, uh, to have both responsibility and authority. Right. You know, it's it's right. frustrating to have the responsibility and no authority. Right. Right. Um, to have, you know, to agree on the deliverable, uh, but then also to delegate a sufficient authority. So it sounds like to me that you've grown in uh, to, to valuing what it means to lead leaders uh, who can exercise their own gifts and abilities. Am I hearing you right? You're, you're exactly right. And I like the, that analogy of, am I leading leaders or leading followers? Um, because I, I'm at the point now, 25 years ago, when someone came to me with an idea, I needed all of the steps. You know, I needed you to, I needed two or three meetings with you. I needed you to show me, you know, and then a follow-up. Now I just need you to tell me what you're going to do and the bottom line. I don't need the in-betweens, you know, because I trust, particularly those persons that I trust, I don't need that, you know, and I don't need you calling me. And, and there are, there's sometimes I refuse the call because I want you to error and I, or to try. I want you to make some mistakes along. That's how we learn. You know, it's not that I'm setting them up for failure, but I think you grow from uh, trial and error. You know, you have to figure it out. You know, you, you know, the, the, with this pandemic, we've had some, we've had to make some decisions on the fly. And I think you have to figure it out. You know, you've got to figure out how we're going to deliver this 150 boxes of food every week to these people that come through our line. You know, you have to figure that out, you know, and let's talk about it on the back end of it. I think my, my leadership style now, again, has evolved in the sense of I'm not standing out front saying, follow me. It's my, my leadership model now is I'm coming alongside to uh, coach you, you know. Let's, let's, let's follow up on that word evolved. Uh, it has to do with changing. Mm -hmm. So you've been uh, in pastoral ministry for three decades or so. What brings you the most joy as a pastor? And has that evolved over time? It has. 
at this point, it is seeing people um, transformed, you know, their lives transformed, um, you know, just growing spiritually. Um, but then also seeing leaders develop, um, gaining confidence, gaining their confidence, and then gaining the confidence of the people, you know, uh, gaining their confidence and then seeing people starting to trust them. That brings me joy, you know, that, that people are, trust them. So I think it's, it's for me, early on in, in ministry, I'll be honest, it was about, you know, me getting the accolades. <laughs> I'm just being transparent, I'm being honest, you know, but at this stage in my life, I think it's about legacy. I think when you start getting a certain age, it's about the legacy. You start working on legacy. I think early on in my ministry, <laughs> um, it was about, I needed that. But I'm at the point now about uh, really edifying people, really trying to lift people um, to where they need to be. So that, that, that's what brings me joy. I wake up each morning with a genuineness of saying, what can I do, God, to really, you know, impact the people you've given me? What's the best advice that you received about pastoral leadership? Meet people where they are, love the people for who they are, and develop them into who they can become. That's, I had a pastor who told me that. It took me some time to get there. <laughs> but, you know, I, it took me some time to get there because, you know, as a, as a younger pastor, you want, you want to instantly... <laughs> Uh, you just don't want to receive people for who they are or love them for who they are. So I, I now have gotten, I think I, I understand that now, you know, meet, meet people where they are, love them for who they are and, and develop them into who they can become. That's, that's, who, that's where I am at this point. And that's, that's the best advice I can give a pastor. Sometimes leaders are hypercritical about people when people are being human and to be human means that sin lives very close to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like to me that you have evolved in the way that you even view the humanity of people. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, I've not had a, a scandal in my ministry or major scandal. You know, I've had some hurt uh, in my ministry, and I think you and I have talked about that. And um, it it really helped me to see people, not only people, but it helped me to see when a pastor is going through something. So I think I've become more of a pastor to pastors now. Uh, you know, when when there's a pastor that's hurting, I'm the I think I'm the first one to pick up the phone to call and say, you know, let's pray, let's let's try to figure out. So I think my humanity shows more now. You know, that whereas before um, I might have been standoffish or not, I, I, I prayed, uh, you know, and might have talked to the person, a couple, you know, in passing. But now I'm more intentional about that. So I feel like I have my pastor's heart has really developed, not just for those people in my care, but for other pastors because of something I have personally experienced. Well, we have pastors across the country and around the world who are listening to this podcast. And so what advice would you like to give our listeners today about what they can do 
to flourish in ministry? Find your voice. Find your voice. My grandfather, and I want to, I want to, I want to um, spend a lot of time talking about this. But my grandfather, who could not read, could not write, I was raised by my grandparents, started preaching as a boy, kid, um, when I was uh, preaching up my first sermon on my 16th birthday. My grandfather, who could not read, could not write, um, bought me a tape recorder. <laughs> and um, he would have me to preach in this tape recorder. He could not read, he could not write, but he said to me, you know, he would buy books. I don't know, I don't know who told him the books to buy, but he would find these books that he wanted me to read. But he said something to me once that um, really, I, I, I take it with me everywhere I go. He said, um, you know, when you stand up to preach, you need to, you're representing God, you're representing your family. But he always said something to me. He called pastor's names, Jasper Williams, C.L. Franklin. He called my, my late um, pastor's name, John Spencer, who's deceased now. He said, uh, you have to be you. And really what he was trying to say, he didn't know what to say, that, to use the terminology, but he was saying, find your own voice. So I would say to pastors, um, you know, this, per this, this man who had no education, um, but he was a person who was nurturing me, even then said to me, find your voice. And I want to say to pastors, young, as, as well as older, find your voice. And also um, develop your leadership style. Find, you know, develop your own leadership style. You know, you can't be someone else, but develop your own leadership style. And finally, uh, as an older pastor, senior pastor told me 30 some years ago when I first entered pastor, um, the pastor, he said to me, go to a church and pastor that church as if you're going to stay there because you just might have to. Translation, <laughs> don't go and just put it on your resume as a filler. Go and be intentional and do something and work the work that the Lord has given you because you, know, you might just have to stay there. <laughs> Dr. Wells, we are grateful that you've taken time out of your responsibilities at the Falling Run Missionary Baptist Church in Fayetteville to talk with us about flourishing in ministry. We're grateful for your time and your wisdom and your conversation today. Again, thank you, Dr. Goley, for all that you're doing um, to help develop and shape the lives of pastors and church leaders everywhere. You are a gift to the body of Christ, and we are so grateful um, to have this opportunity to sit with you today. Thank you for all that you do for all of us. We're, we're eternally grateful. Thank you for joining us today for Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, a weekly podcast from Lot Carey as we listen in on conversations with prominent pastoral thought leaders. Join us next week for a conversation with a new guest and fresh insights. Wisdom from the Black Church for the whole church. I'm Reverend Dr. Jacqueline Madison McQuarrie. Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving is produced in partnership with Good Faith Media. Music by Makita McQuarrie. Share the word with those who need to hear it Pilgrimages of Striving and Thriving, wherever you get your podcasts. Also listen online at lotcarry.org. Mm -hmm.